What's going on, Dog Pound? Hope you guys are hungry. It is time for episode two of the Browns Digest podcast. We want to welcome you guys back again. I'm your host, Sean Stevenson, along with lead editor of Sports Illustrated Browns Digest, Pete Smith. Pete, how you doing? I'm all right. I'm a little bummed at the news that uh, Carlos Dunlap is going back to Seattle. He was the guy who was hoping hoping the Browns would sign for that veteran DN position. But other than that, uh, life is pretty good. Yeah, so Carlos Dunlap is out of the uh, Browns DE2 sweepstakes. So potentially we might see Jadavion Clowney. Now, I know you have your reserves about him, but we'll save that you know, for the latter part of the show. Uh, so today we're going to be talking the offensive depth chart and breaking down each position group on the offense. Uh, as we guys, as we all know, last year, they brought in a lot of offensive talent. Obviously, you still have a lot of uh, starters returning, and there's not going to be a lot of turnover on this side of the ball, which is good because it gives the front office more time to evaluate Baker Mayfield and really know what they're going to do in terms of a contract extension and if they're going to have to pay him big money. So before we get into the breakdown, uh, we've definitely heard talks on local radio of how Dak Prescott's contract could potentially affect Baker Mayfield. I know you've written about it and, and spoke about it. In terms of a contract extension annually, what would you be comfortable with in terms of giving Baker Mayfield if he was to receive an extension potentially next season or this year? Well, I, first I expect that will get done in about June or July. Uh, that's sort of when that stuff would happen. Um, I, you know, if you ask me to put a number on, am I happy with like the idea of like about 35 million or a little around that? Yeah. I mean, I think the ultimate question is just, do, do I think Baker Mayfield is the guy? And the answer to that is yes. Um, so I, you know, a, a lot of that comes down to what does Baker Mayfield want? Um, does he want to maximize every dollar? And and there's nothing that says he's wrong to do that. Um, you know, if that's, if that's what he's going for, he, he can certainly go that route. Is he someone who's more interested in, in, trying to put his team in the best position to win with the thought process that if I win, um, I'm more marketable. Obviously he's very good on commercials and, and I assume he makes pretty good money with progressive and some of these other things. Uh, so if, if he makes a ton of money doing that, he may not be as worried about it. Uh, but that's sort of the question with that. So, you know, this is sort of one of those things where it's his turn. I think the biggest issue with that is I am totally in favor of getting that deal done as soon as possible. Uh, just with the way the cap is going to go up, um, you know, basing that negotiation on, you know, where the cap is now, obviously his agent's not stupid. He's not going to, you know, just decide, Oh, well, the cap is this low. So I'm, you know, my clients of course can take this super low number, but I do think it's, it's still going to save you a good amount of money, uh, versus waiting a year or potentially two years to finally negotiate that deal. And that may mean, you know, around 30 million spread out over a couple of years of, of caps, you know, of, of the length of the, the new contract, which does add up. So, um, you know, trying to pin down a, a number is really difficult when it comes to the quarterback position. You know, obviously um, it's one of the, you know, that's, that's one where it feels like uh, the salary cap, is broken in terms of how that's sort of paid out. And it feels like it should be sort of out of structure, the same way running backs should be, uh, but from the opposite perspective. So, you know, whatever that 
works out to be. Uh, I, I'm not too worried about, I'm not going to like freak out, whatever the extension is, I'm not going to sit here and freak out and go, well, you know, if they had only paid this much money, it would have worked. If they believe he's the guy and I, I have no doubt they do, then they're going to just get that deal done. Uh, hopefully before Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. Uh, so at least they might say from that standpoint. Yeah, I'm definitely in the same boat of getting the deal done sooner rather than later. Yes, if you get a deal later down the line, you will have more of a secure mindset of, okay, yes, this is our franchise quarterback. Um, And part of being in the boat of getting a deal done early, like you mentioned, is that you get to set the market before Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson gets their contracts. And in terms of keeping that cap space flexibility that Andrew Barry has always kind of worked around, that's definitely a move you want to make. I mean, one, they were all in the same draft class. You look at what Lamar Jackson's already done, having an MVP caliber season, um, you know, improving his play, finally got a playoff win. And then also you look at Josh Allen and the fact that they're at the AFC Championship with the Bills getting better each season. Now it's really, you know, on Mayfield of continuing to set the standard of being the number one overall pick and really showing that he can take the Browns to the next step. Now looking at the depth chart, so we already have Baker Mayfield, who's the locked in starter that shouldn't change for any reason. Um, you know, I'll be at a trade, but I feel like that's highly unlikely even during that time when the rumors of Deshaun Watson coming to Cleveland was just outlandish and unreasonable. You have Case Keenum and Kyle Laletta as the two backup options. In terms of Keenum, I feel relatively comfortable with him being your backup. Obviously, during his time in Minnesota, he had his best season. Obviously, that miracle play against the Saints in the playoffs and just the numbers he was able to produce with Kevin Stefanski running that similar scheme in a situation that Baker Mayfield goes down, you know, rather be from injury. Uh, obviously, you don't want him to be from bad play, but if he goes down from injury and he's missing for a few games, I feel like you could be comfortable with Case Keenum coming in for a couple spot starts. Yeah, uh, look, Case Keenum is valuable for a couple of reasons. First, he doesn't need any practice reps, which is way more valuable than he, than people think it is. Uh, the way the uh, collective bargaining agreement is structured, it's really, really difficult to develop uh, a young corner or a quarterback uh, just the, the, because it's just so challenging to get them enough reps. Uh, the way practices have been scaled back, which is good for just about every other position, that's the position that it hurts the most. Um, I, I, I think he's also a valuable sounding board, uh, which is not something most people sort of think about he's eyes and ears on the field, uh, and in the film room and some of those other things. And he's not a coach, but he is sort of a trusted resource for that. And just one more, you know, person to go to, you know, during the game who might see something that he's been in this offense forever. He's been around a long time. You know, he may just be seeing something that, Maybe somebody else hasn't noticed. So there, there's a value to that. I, I wish he didn't make, you know, scheduled about seven, seven point three million this year, uh, which is more than David Njoku. I wish that was a little bit lower. But other than that, I mean, he's exactly what you want to have in a backup quarterback. You know, if Baker Mayfield goes down for eight weeks, you know, the Browns may be may well be screwed. If you know it's down for like three games. You know, you're going to be fine with Case Keenum for the most part. I think uh, he's enough. You can certainly turn around and hand, hand the ball off to Nick 
Chubb well enough uh, and make make a few throws. So I, I do think there's a value. I think what it, what it comes down to for quarterback is do you carry three guys in the regular season? My answer to that is definitely not. Uh, you keep that third guy on the practice squad because uh, you just don't have the roster space to 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 keep three guys with where the Browns are. I think that would be um, you know really cutting off your nose and spite your face in terms of losing a player that can really contribute as opposed to a guy who is going to hold a clipboard in the best case scenario. Yeah. And looking at Kyle Lalletta, uh, they brought him in last year. I don't really see too many situations where he moves up in the depth chart just because again, that value that case Keenum brings, like you had said. And do you think there's any situation if they see some significant jump during training camp where they might move off of Keenum to save some of that cap space and be comfortable with Laletta being that number two quarterback? Well, the only way that works is if they trade him. If they cut him, they have to eat a, a sizable amount of money that's going to be too much to, to, to do that. So, you know, if you find a team that go, lost a quarterback or something and they're trying to get through – Maybe I don't really see that happening. So, you know, do I, do I see them cutting him? No. Uh, so and I also don't see much demand for anybody, you know, chasing after Kyle Laletta at this point. So um, I, I would be very surprised unless, you know, Case Keenan basically comes to the team and says, yeah, I, I want to get out of here and pursue something else. I, I don't see that from him. I don't see that. Uh, from this team. So I think, I think he'll be fine for this year. And if they don't move any money, he may well be gone. Uh, maybe cut after this season, uh, potentially. Definitely. So QB one Baker Mayfield, uh, we don't need a social media post like the Chicago bears do for the fans to know who's going to be our starter week one, moving over to the running back position. Uh, the top two running backs is obvious. You have the return of Chunt, the friend favorites of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And then behind them, you have Dearness Johnson and John Kelly. So looking at the running back group, uh, you know, obviously there's not going to be any change with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, both of them around 5'11". Chubb is the heaviest back on the roster right now at 227. And then when you start to look at Dearness Johnson and John Kelly, they're both 5'10", 208, and this room really lacks that big, heavy back. Um, personally, I would like to see some type of addition, uh, likely through the draft, because you always can find that college running back. Now, I don't think they're going to find someone similar to what the Packers have in um, in Dylan. I can't remember his last name right now, um, but how big he is. And around those goal line situations, I definitely feel like that could be a benefit that the Browns could add, you know, to this running back room is a heavier back. Someone that's a little bit closer to maybe 230, 240. That might be a little bit shorter, but again, in those heavy formations could bring come in and be used in short yardage situations. What's your current outlook of the running back position? Well, I mean, Chubb's a big dude and he's really good by the goal line. But I mean, if they want to really give it to a bigger guy, they could turn around and hand it to Andy Janovich, uh, who I hope does more this year. Uh, he, I was very disappointed uh, with him as a pass catcher last year. There were a couple of times where he was set up really well and he just dropped it, which is not something he's characteristically done. He actually was a nice receiver in Denver. Uh, but uh, running backs, uh, you know, Chubb is great. I don't love Hunt. But they do. Um, I, I, I think there are certain things he does exceptionally well. Uh, he, he's great after the catch. Um, I, I don't love him as a runner. 
when he when you when you ask him to go find a hole, he he can struggle, and it can be really feast or famine with him. Uh, I'm with you on at least the idea of I'd like to do more running back. And that's not because I don't like Dearness Johnson. I actually do. However, um, if the Browns are able to sort of knock out most of their needs ahead of the draft and you just play with strengths, there are good running backs in this class. Um, you know, everybody talks about these top guys uh, like Najee Harris and, and Travis Eddy, and that's fine. And the kids from North Carolina, but like, you know, a kid like Kylan Hill, uh, is a 215-pound back who is a really professional running back as a runner, but he's become a really good receiver, especially in that last year, uh, in that uh, in that you know th- that fun and gun style uh, offense with Mike Leach, uh, that he got to do a lot of that and looked pretty good doing it. I, I like uh, the kid from Virginia Tech, who's a, basically a tank. He's like five nine and two, you know, two fifteen or two twenty in there. Khalil Herbert, I believe his name is. Um, Jamar Jefferson from Oregon State is raw in terms of his pass catching, blocking, all that stuff. But his vision is downright scary in terms of what he's able to do. And he didn't get a whole lot of blocking. And you watch games like Oregon where he occasionally will just break off like a seventy yard run, and that team was awful. And he was still really, really productive. So, you know, I could easily see a situation where the Browns are like, you know, maybe we'd like other positions, but the insert guy is just too good. And we don't know what's going to happen with Chubb. Certainly we we might want to keep him around for a little while, but if we have added this guy and they have shown their value, that at least gives us some options or, you know, if they want to move on from Kareem Hunt or whatever, they love options. And if you find, you know, if you, if you catch lightning in a bottle and you get another cheap running back uh, on a rookie contract, then, then that would be great. So, uh, you know, if you want to, you want that big back, like you're talking about, there's Ramondre Hill from Oklahoma, who's like 246. Uh, so, I mean, there, there's, there's all kinds of flavors of guys, but yeah, if they knock out their, their, their stuff, you know, they just play to the strengths of this class wide receiver running back, even tight end could, could be options that maybe people are like, man, they'll never take one of those. And then they grab one just because they love a player at a particular spot. Yeah. And options is always the best thing that you can have. I'm totally in the boat of BPA in the draft, which is best player available. And if there's a situation where a top running back is sliding down the board because teams prioritize other players, in certain positions, obviously, edge rushers, tackles, corners um, always fly off the board. Rather be round one, round two. There's always a run at some point on those positions. And you do have to somewhat have a safety net in terms of who's going to be your running back. If you see the situation where you see guys that don't think paying a running back is a good idea. Uh, I'm in the boat of Chubb is one of the players that has helped us have so much success if you have to, you know, cut down on certain areas in order to keep him, I'm more open to do that. Uh, definitely one of the areas that could help retain Chubb for the long term, at least for our Super Bowl window before, you know, quarterback and cornerback salaries just get too high. Um, 
you can you know make some changes at receiver, uh, rather be Odell or Jarvis Landry, something we get into later. But you want to give yourself again that flexibility, and then once value comes available in the draft, you really want to take advantage of it. So looking at fullback, which you already kind of touched on, uh, Andy Janovich obviously is going to be your main fullback, and you have Johnny Stanton, both around the same size. Um, Johnny Stanton's more of that backup option if Janovich goes down but I do agree with you that I wish he was a little bit more consistent with his hands like I, I even believe I can't remember, I think it was about maybe like mid-season where there was a play where they threw it to him in the flat where he was wide open I think it was almost could have been a touchdown if he just catches the ball um and his hands would just seem very inconsistent in his first season so I'm definitely hope he picks that up but his ability as a lead blocker I really enjoyed um in terms of him leading and opening up holes yeah, Angie Janovich is a phenomenal blocking fullback. Uh, you know, they got him for a reason. He's he's the eyes of the offense when they use one. Um, he, you know, in terms of getting a fullback who understands this, the 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 type of offense they run, he's second to none. But yeah, like I said, I, I think there's more to be had from him on offense. I hope you know he he gives you more as a pass catcher because yeah, there there was definitely a touchdown in the game of a pass he dropped, or there was a big gain in front of him. Uh, you know, if, 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 if the Browns offense is able to create more space, you know, somebody like Janovich is going to be left completely open uh, and with, with yards to gain. And after that, he's not slow. I mean, he's, he's not, you know, Odell Beckham, he's not Nick Chubb. He's not one of those guys, but he's not a guy that's like, you know, you're, you're going to be like watching him lumber down the field. He can run pretty well. So I, I think there's more to be had there. Um, yeah, Johnny Stanton, he knows the offense, former quarterback. Uh, he's sort of their emergency option, but there, you know, I, I wouldn't totally shock me. I, I would assume it would be after the draft if, if they do the, but it wouldn't totally shock me if they brought in somebody to sort of compete, uh, to see if they can find something eventually. Janovich is, I think under contract for at least this season and one more, but I could be wrong about that. Yeah, and fullback obviously is a de-emphasized position in the NFL, but when you're a team that likes to run the ball, having a good fullback definitely is a benefit. I mean, just look at the San Francisco 49ers and them paying Kyle Juszczyk again. Uh, you know, Kyle Shanahan obviously loves using those fullbacks, and even when he was with the uh, Baltimore Ravens, he was a, a, a very, you know, versatile player that you could use. Now, obviously, Andy Genovich isn't in that same mode, but Again, he's that type of player that he knows his role and he excels in being a run first uh, fullback or run blocking first fullback. So looking at the receiver position, and this kind of goes back to you saying the ability to create space, it's essentially to me a top four and then everyone else. Uh, in terms of the top four, obviously you're one and two. It's Odo Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry. I don't see any situation where they trade or move off of either one of them this season. Um Obviously, there's some contract details where you can get rid of one player to save some money here or there. But I think this is going to be the last season where they kind of keep the LSU band together and see what they can get out of it. And also have a better idea of what Baker Mayfield can do with either one of the two. And then you have Rashard Higgins and Donovan Peoples-Jones as those receiver three or four option. So before we get to the receiver three, even though I already kind of know the answer to this, who would you move off of next season between Beckham and Landry if a decision has to be made? <laughs> well, uh, I can't imagine there's a thing on this football team. The Browns want to work more than Beckham and, and Baker. 
you know, I, I, I think, you know, with this front office, obviously they didn't make that trade, but you know, if there's something that they're going, if this can just work the way we, we think it can, uh, it's going to just change a whole, whole dynamic of the offense. Beckham is that element. Uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, Landry, um, I don't think fits this offense. Uh, I don't think he adds much at this point. Um, I think he runs basically in the same neighborhood as the tight ends. And I'd rather throw up the tight. Basically, if there's an opportunity to, to get the ball in the hands of any player on this offense, other than maybe Andy Janovich, Jarvis Landry finishes dead last. Uh, I would rather have Odell with the ball. I would rather have Chubb with the ball. I would rather have any of the tight ends with the ball. That's not fair. I would rather Jarvis Landry has the ball in his hands over Harrison Bryant right now. Um, but they're just more athletic or bigger or stronger or whatever. Uh, so, I, you know, people say he's reliable. He has the highest drop percentage on the team. Uh, you know, there's all these things that he supposedly does. And, you know, we're, we're, we're in our third, what will be our fourth year of Landry and two of the three are bad. Uh, the, the third one was very good uh, when he had Beckham and maybe you're going to get more of that this year, but why, why are you paying, you know, what is scheduled to be 14.8 million for a guy who's only good when the other guy is available? I think there's, you can obviously do more than that. And the, the, you know, the cultural aspects of what he does are super overblown. The Browns don't think that about him there, there may have been a time they did, but they've added too many guys to this locker room that have credibility and, and, you know, matter in that regard that, that it's not, not a thing. So, you know, that's, I, I, you know, obviously I would have gotten rid of him this off season. I would trade him for, you know, a ham sandwich just for the cap room at this point. Uh, but uh, a bit just because, and that's not necessarily for receiver help. I, I think that money could be, then be used on defense to, to keep adding talent there. So yeah, that's easily the choice I would make. I, Cause I, I just think, you know, people get frustrated with Beckham, uh, but even in the seven games he played last year, he had three there. They did the Browns released their 10 top offensive plays of the year. He was in three of them. Um, so, you know, he, he has, and he has, you know, the Dallas game, he won. Uh, there are games where, you know, he made big time plays in that. So, uh, you know, th- there's more to like about what he can be, even though he hasn't been available and it's been a very frustrating two years. And I I agree 100% with, you know, the impact that Beckham has on the offense when he is available. And that's pretty much what has been throughout his career is when he's healthy and when he's available, he can make an impact. Obviously, there's been a myriad of injuries, rather be the ankle, rather be the knee. Um, you know, there's been different things that has always kind of prevented him from getting on the field of recently since pretty much those first two years that were just outstanding. And I feel like that's also kind of been part of the kryptonite with Odo Beckham is the fact that we know what he can do when he's on the field. But the two things we've really failed to see is one, that dynamic play on a consistent basis and more more than not for most people is having a chemistry with Baker Mayfield that's healthy over the past two seasons. It's really been. Why is he forcing the ball? Um, 
can we get the ball to Odell Beckham when he's not getting the ball? But there's always this kind of like pull and tug of do we get him the ball? Uh, should we start spreading the ball around? And I think this kind of falls onto Kevin Stefanski this year in terms of how do you game plan getting Beckham the ball appropriately without having to force the ball to him. And I feel like that's what we kind of saw at the beginning of the season a little bit, like especially up to the point of the injury where you kind of just wonder, like, why is Baker not looking around to his open targets and just finding, you know, finding the right read versus always thinking I'm going to go player versus play, uh, which could have caused the issue. But as the season progressed and obviously Beckham wasn't on the field, I'm not going to get into the whole debate of is is he better with Beckham not being available? Um, he was really then forced to, I need to find the open read and make the smart play because Jarvis Landry obviously was the most talented receiver you know, that he had available in his repertoire last season. So with Beckham back healthy, I definitely feel like it adds another wrinkle to the offense. Now you can add in jet sweeps. Uh, you can throw screen plays and use those more effectively because he's definitely a player where you want him to utilize his athletic ability and get yards after the catch that's and i've seen you talk about this before yards after the catch isn't something that you're going to see a lot from landry you know obviously he has plays where he'll take a drag on a third down where they basically send three or four verticals and get him underneath against a you know a not as talented slot corner and he can make some plays there which can be valuable but really any receiver can do that and if you're talking about someone that has the ability to break a game or to really make a game-changing play just by having the ball in his hands, Odo Beckham is that player. So looking at the receiver three entering this season, obviously Higgins got re-signed to a one-year deal, and he's potentially the um, backup option for Landry if, they, if he's moved on from next season. Who do you think is the receiver three entering this season, Higgins or Peoples-Jones? Uh, I expect it'll be uh, Peoples Jones, uh, and that's that. You know, that's obviously dependent on his schedule. Uh, you know, the Browns have been very good about not rushing guys. They, you know, I, I give them a ton of credit for the way they handled last year's draft class. Other than uh, Jedrick Jedrick Wills, they let guys sort of, you know, earn their roles and grow into them. So, you know, with a guy like uh, Jordan Elliott, he played like 20% of snaps or something like that as a rookie defensive tackle, which is a brutally difficult position to do uh, when you're, you know, 22. Uh, Harrison Bryant, obviously he, he, he had some points where he, he got on the field quite a bit and then some points where he didn't. Uh, and, you know, Donovan Peoples-Jones is a perfect example where they sort of let him find this niche and he sort of, he really thrived in it. And it wasn't a situation, you know, they always left you sort of wanting more. They, they never, you never got to a point where you were like really frustrated with them. I and he had his share of mistakes, uh, but you know, they, they, they sort of let him sort of figure it out, but for the same reason that they played uh Kadero Hodge at that wide receiver three last year, it's speed. Uh, the Browns, did not want to have a three receiver set with Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry and Richard Higgins. Cause it was slow other than Beckham. Now they had to go to that two receiver set when, when 
Uh, Beckham went down because they just needed somebody who could do the job. And that was a bigger priority than, than speed at that point. But, you know, Kadero Hodge wasn't out there because, you know, he's a better receiver and yes, he blocked, but so did Higgins last year. Higgins was actually, you know, reasonably effective for a guy who's as little as he is. He gets in the way, uh, but they wanted that speed dynamic. They wanted somebody who could create more space. Uh, and, and Hodge did that for as little as he actually did on the field. And I think if Donovan Peoples-Jones can offer more of that, then he's going to earn that spot and win it. Uh, and, you know, now ultimately it may be sort of a package thing where there are situations where Higgins is that guy. Uh, but if you're just saying who's going to be that third guy sort of in a vacuum, I, I really do think it's going to end up being uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones and Higgins is going to be stuck in sort of this, which is why I didn't think he would sign here in the first place again, is because I think he's going to end up being in this wide receiver four hole uh, just do that lack of speed. Now the, the caveat to that is obviously he's proven himself. Uh, he's obviously been very good for them uh, this past year. He was, he had the most receiving yards from the moment Beckham went down all the way through the playoffs. So there's certainly a reason for them to keep using him. Obviously he's got incredible chemistry with Baker Mayfield, but just in terms of what does this offense really need to do? It needs to do more vertically and it needs to do in terms more creating space, which is going to benefit the tight ends as well as Beckham. You, you mentioned it and Landry's in the same boat uh, guys who can, I think one of the most underutilized aspects of, of our weaponry in this offense right now is yards after the catch. And Landry, I think leads the team in it. And that's largely because he catches a two yard pass and runs about five more before he gets tackled. But a lot of that is a product of that lack of space with Beckham able to sort of force defenders down the field. If Donovan Peoples Jones can force opponents to, you know, keep those safeties back. And then you throw that drag route to a guy like Beckham, there's more space there or, or Landry, there's more space there. So that helps them. And, and obviously the guy who really needs more space and needs to do more in terms of yards after the catch is Austin Hooper. He was dreadful last year in that regard. He would catch the ball and basically fall down. And I'm hoping he has a, a much better year from that standpoint, because there is a lot of yardage being left on the field. And some of that is a product of the offense still being new, hopefully a year removed, uh, a, a more normal off season, you know, whenever Baker and those guys get together in Austin or wherever they, wherever they get together, they're going to know the offense as opposed to sort of the basic idea of what's going to happen. Uh, so I think that's where this thing's going to end up going. Uh, we'll see, but I, I think they're really, really high on what Donovan Peoples Jones can do. So it's just a question of, is he going to be ready for that much uh, of work? Yeah. And that second year jump is something that a lot of coaching staffs look for out of a player. You have a season under your belt. You know what mistakes you've made, you know, what things you can improve on. Obviously, he had that highlight play of the game winning touchdown in the corner of the end zone against Cincinnati. And, you know, that was a big moment for him. Um, and you want to see him build upon what he did well last season. Uh, and we kind of talked about it previously is that he's not necessarily that player that's just an absolute burner that's just going to rip the top off of a defense, but he is a bigger body that can, you know, stretch the seams vertically. He can make catches and contesting catches outside of the numbers, which is a huge benefit. So, you know, what Baker Mayfield can do in terms of throwing the ball outside the numbers, which I want to see him do more and having somebody that's a bigger body target is, is one of the factors that can help him do that at a higher level. So kind of looking at the rest of the group, We've already kind of talked about Kadero Hodge. Uh, he's a restricted free agent. They've already tendered him. Uh, obviously, other 
teams have the ability to look at him. And if they do give him an offer, the Browns can either match or let him go. And then they get something in return based off the tender they placed on him. Then you see Jojo Natson, someone that returned on a one-year deal, who's primarily going to be a special teams player in terms of the value he provides as either kick returner or a punt returner. Then you have Jamarcus Bradley, who saw a majority of his play uh, during the Jets game, where basically the whole starting receiver room was out because of COVID contact tracing. Uh, you have Derek Willies, a player that made um, really like I would say one big play a couple seasons ago. Um, I believe he might have been against the Ravens or the Steelers. Um, you have Ryan Switzer, another player that they signed this offseason, and Alexander Hollins, who's with the team last year. But when you really break down this room, outside of Derek Willies, there isn't a lot of size. You know, obviously you have Donnie Peoples Jones, but that's someone we know is going to be here next year. Uh, Derek Willies is 6'4, 207. And you look at the rest of the group. Jamarcus Bradley's only six foot, less than 200 pounds. Hollins is very slight at six foot, only 166 pounds. And Ryan Switzer is the smallest besides Jojo Natson at 5'9", 183. So looking at the free agent market, um, obviously you're not going to find the best value in terms of someone that you could add to the receiver room. And this is where I really feel that they could benefit from the draft. And drafting two receivers, in my personal opinion, actually could be a very good strategy because there's still the ability to trade down and acquire more picks in this year's draft. You know, there's nothing wrong with moving down a few spaces, potentially even trading out of the first round. If whatever player you were looking at doesn't become available, you could trade to the top of the second, whatever the case may be, add someone later in the draft. Now you have the ability to add a big body receiver. I mean, you just look at the success that Chase Claypool had last year where a lot of um, analysts looked at him as more of a move tight end, and he pretty much flourished in that receiver role for the Steelers. And then also, like you said, in order to create more space, you need someone with speed. Uh, obviously, before they traded for Odo Beckham, uh, Brashard Perriman was that player they was expecting to basically bring that speed and help open up the top of the defense. And I feel like that's the one thing that is drastically lacking in this offense. But yes, Beckham is obviously very talented, but you don't want to just send Odo Beckham on streak, streak routes every single time he's on the field. If you can get a player out of college that can run in that 4-3, almost a 4-2, they may have some drop issues. That's what I've noticed when you get those really fast receivers out of college. I mean, you look at John Ross, someone that really couldn't stay healthy, and when he was on the field, he had drop issues. But if you just offer that threat of being down the field burner, that already opens up more space, like you said, for the tight ends to work and potentially drivers land your underneath. Well, you're a former wide receiver. Uh, what happens when you run really fast down the field and you're trying to track the ball? Uh, you can easily lose it. And after a while, you get really tired. So there's very limited opportunities to do it consistently. Yeah. And, 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 you know, just from a vision standpoint, the ball is, just, you know, unless you're a really smooth runner, you know, and, and some track guys are really good for this. You know, guys don't often run super, super full speed on the field for this reason. The ball bounces uh, because your feet are bouncing. So and, and, and your head is bouncing. And as a result, the ball, the ball is is bouncing up and down. So a guy like Braylon Edwards, this obviously goes back a little ways, always jumped because the ball was bouncing so much. It was the only way he could sort of make it stop to track it well. Uh, so. You know, that that's a challenge for some of those guys. So, you know, it, it, it are, if you're a guy that can sort of 
smooth out how you run and, and you're 80 to 90 percent or whatever it is uh, is smooth and you're going to have more success tracking the ball like that, which is far more difficult than people realize. But uh, look, it, the guy like uh, some of these practice squad guys, I think uh, what's his face up uh, Bradley. I think he has to be a little disappointed that Richard Higgins resigned because that's basically who he is. Um, I don't know how many you need. Uh, you know, you've got Landry and you've got Higgins who are sort of the same guy. And then you've got like a third option in Bradley. So I don't know how long he's here for this roster. Derek Willie's you know, height, weight, speed project. And it was three, three receptions and it was against the Ravens. But uh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with that. He's obviously had really bad luck with injuries. Um, you know, Jojo Natson, the way his contract is structured, sounds like it's very easy to get out of. It includes per game bonuses. I don't know if they intend on that happening. Ryan Switzer, um, he's a punt returner who has at least been on the field as a receiver. You know, the, 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 I think if they can get a receiver in the draft who, or, or some position in the draft that can return punts, those guys may be, uh, less necessary. Uh, I don't think, you know, Natson would have the better shot to make the the roster than Switzer. Switzer was on the practice squad all last year. Um, the kid they got from the Vikings, he's a burner. Uh, you know, I, I would talk him away. I'm curious to see what happens. He will certainly get a shot. I don't know how long that will last, but you know, he's a guy they knew. Uh, Kevin Stefanski knew from his time with the Vikings. So there's at least some familiarity there in, in Hollins, but he's, he's just a guy with like, I think either low four, four or high four, three speed. Uh, and then, you know, as far as the draft is concerned, uh, the, we don't, it, I, I can't imagine how long it's going to be before we, we find ourselves in a quote unquote bad receiver class. They're all great. All of them are, are loaded and this year's no exception. And you can get basically whatever you want. So I still think the Browns will draft at least one receiver. If they do draft a second one, it would probably be like super late uh, with basically the intention of putting them on the practice squad. Uh, but I think, you know, they, they may only draft one and it's late. Like if you get a kid like uh, uh, Isaiah McCoy from Kent state, for example, who has a lot of similarities to sort of Donovan people's Jones and sort of this, big ball of clay type prospect with some vertical threat ability and size that maybe they, you know, they want to sort of roll the dice on that type of prospect again. You know, if they want to get somebody more proven, there's certainly options for that. I think whoever they pick, if they're going to pick a receiver, it will definitely be somebody who's fast. That's the one component they need. And, you know, working under the theory that Landry won't be here next year, which is, I, I, I don't think he will be, uh, I think that's why they don't want to restructure his contract because uh, short of just give, take making him take a pay cut like I would, uh, they don't want to ensure more bonus money in next year. They want to be able to get out of that contract uh, and sort of maintain the, the sense of being a good organization that they gave him all of his money this year. But if you move on from him next year and your wide receiver room is suddenly potentially uh, Beckham Higgins, people's Jones and said, rookie, you're not in a bad spot and you've made a nice transition. So, you know, assuming they get somebody who's good. So I, I expect they will get a burner, even if it's, you know, and it wouldn't surprise me if it's early um, and they have sort of a, you know, a package of plays they can offer. 
You know, if it's a, a guy like Deami Brown from North Carolina stands out as, you know, he's the most, I think he's the Will Fullerist prospect in this draft in terms of just straight vertical threat and some occasional drops, but he's also got pretty good size. Um, I, I love Elijah Moore, uh, who, you know, is a guy who can really do nice, nice things with slot fades. Um, there are absolutely guys you get out there with, with burner type speed, Anthony Schwartz, really raw out of Auburn, but he's, he's a track guy. I, you know, it, there was a question of whether he was going to you know run the four twos. I don't know that he really pushed it all that hard to run his four, three, whatever, but he's track fast. Uh, he's the guy who wakes up and he's fast. So I'm not worried about that, but it, there are, there are no shortage of options. And obviously, obviously this year's had a ton of guys crack into that, you know, high four, three stuff. I don't necessarily believe they're all high four, three guys, but nevertheless, there's no shortage of guys who can at least press the field vertically and come in different shapes and sizes. I mean, Rondale Moore, you know, you, you, you run the gamut. Rondale Moore is five, seven. Uh, and you go all the way up to a guy like Deami Brown, who I think is six, one somewhere in that neighborhood. And they all are incredibly fast. So th- there's no shortage of options and they could just find the one they like. Uh, at, at the right place in the draft. And you can never go wrong with adding speed. You know, the more speed you have, the more versatile you can be in terms of your scheme. And speed, again, is one of those things that they need to add on the offense because in turn, that's going to help the tight end group. And you look at Austin Hooper, obviously he's going to be your tight end one. You paid him a lot of money last year. At the time, it was the you know, the most expensive tight end contract. Obviously we knew that Travis Kelsey and George Kittle, they all would have topped those deals. So it was really getting ready before the market actually set itself, which all makes sense now. And then you look behind him, you have David Njoku uh, and and Harrison Bryant or two tight ends where you don't necessarily know who's going to get the bulk of the snaps because you look at David Njoku and obviously they exercised his fifth year option. So that 6 million is guaranteed after last Wednesday. And you want to see him really come in here. And I, in the offseason, I want to see him establish himself as that number two tight end. One, you've already committed significant draft capital to him being a first round pick. And if I remember correctly, he might've been the player that they moved back into the first round to draft. Yes. Uh, Yes. So, uh, you know, they grabbed Miles Garrett, uh, Jabril Peppers, who obviously was moving in that Odo Beckham trade, and then they moved up to get David Njoku. And even when they drafted him, he was only 19 years old, so he's still incredibly young. So there's no unneeded pressure to move away from him. And I never really understood that whole notion from Browns fans and from media to say they need to move on from Njoku. He's not that good of a player and, and, and all this. One, he's young at a position that takes a long time to very to get comfortable, obviously, outside of players that just are extremely talented and are above and beyond better than the rest. But Ninjoku offers a skill set that I feel like you don't get out of Harrison Bryant, and that's that ability to sh- basically attack the scene with speed and high point catches above defenders and really make big plays either outside the numbers or down the field when you need to basically have someone make a play in man coverage. I've seen that a lot more last season from Njoku in the times that they did give him the ball versus Harrison Bryant, where, yes, he made plays, he grew in his run blocking, but his role almost kind of seemed 
awfully similar to Austin Hooper more than another move tight end. Right. Um, David Njoku is one of the most athletic tight ends in the league. Uh, neither of the other, none of the other tight ends on the bronze roster are anywhere close. Um, if you want to go and look at something impressive, look at the catch he makes over the middle against the Chiefs. His feet are like even with the dude's shoulders up in the air. Um, he's a freak. Uh, and and tight ends generally don't really pop until they're 23, usually 24. The one exception is Gronkowski, who's at 20, 20, 22. But like Travis Kelsey, 24. Uh, most of these other guys you look at, 24. It's just a difficult position to sort of do, pick up quickly. So a lot of people will like say, well, Travis Kelsey was great in his second year. Well, he didn't get drafted until he was 23 and then he got hurt that first year. So he wasn't really a, a factor until he's 24. Njoku is young uh, and, and he has not helped himself at times with some immaturity. Uh, he's not helped himself sometimes with, you know, obviously in, 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 I understand it from the standpoint of he's trying to do what's best for him uh, and maximize his own career when he requested the trade. But, you know, for whatever reason, there are people who just can't get over that. And they don't still, despite the fact he, he was, he, he really buckled down and really worked hard last year in a way you haven't seen from him. I, I saw more focus from him again. I, I think he grew up a little bit. Um, you saw him dominate as a blocker and you saw him more, you know, showcase some of the, the freakish ability he has. And I don't know why anyone would be quick to get rid of that. Um, it, it seems like the type of move and they, they could theoretically trade him it, it all guaranteed was the salary. So whoever has it would, would, uh, would have to pay it. But uh, you know, I, I don't think the Browns have been interested in doing that at all. Um, what I think will happen now last year, I think was largely a function of necessity. They played a lot of that double tight, very orthodox uh, look, or they played double tight with a wing. But later in the year, as they got more comfortable with Baker and empty and he got more comfortable, they were a little bit more comfortable loosening them up. I think Njoku this year, was, while he can still line up in line, I think they're going to flex him out way more than he did last year. And I think that probably going to be his primary role that Hooper – is going to be largely the inline guy. Bryant is going to be that wing H back type. And then Njoku is going to be that flexed operating space type guy. If you're going to try to, you know, define them in that way, but yeah, they absolutely have to use him down the seam more. If for no other reason that they weren't dangerous enough attacking down the field and he can do it. Uh, if you can force a safety to have to account for him going down the field or, you know, in addition to a linebacker or whoever else is trying to cover him, that's going to open up opportunities on the outside. It's going to open up opportunities for Nick Chubb. It's just the, the amount of offenses in the NFL that are good. So many of them uh, where you're like this, this team is consistently great, have a great tight end. The Kansas city chiefs obviously stand out with Travis Kelsey. He makes that whole thing go, obviously having Patrick Mahomes, you know, helps a little, but uh he, he, he makes so much happen for that team. Or when the 49ers had a good offense, uh, it, it focused a lot on the tight end position, George Kittle. Uh, you know, even now, I mean, the, he's not a featured part uh, in the way he used to be, but the, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won the Super Bowl in no small part to having Rob Gronkowski there making a couple of big plays in the Super Bowl and the playoffs in general. So 
what that position does, it's obviously important for these guys anyway. Uh, I think he's going to have a much, I, I hope, I was very disappointed in how little he was utilized. I think they they corrected that in some regards in the playoffs. Hopefully that's more indicative of what we're going to see. I think Austin Hooper, I mentioned before, he has to have a big bounce back here. It was just uncharacteristically bad for him. And then Harrison Bryce says, just got to keep growing. He's got a role on this team. Uh, and I think he can be a nice player. It's just going to take him a little while to sort of get that physical bulk uh, that, that that takes, you know, to, to be that type of player. But if you've got all the three of those guys cooking, you know, that that's a dangerous offense unto itself. Yeah, and behind them, you have uh, Steven Carlson, who is a restricted free agent, but uh, they're definitely planning on bringing him back, someone that's more of an inline blocker and obviously offers some value in terms of special teams. Then you have a couple other guys in Jordan Franks and Kyle Markway, really more just depth that you'll see during training camp. Depending on what their role is, they may be someone that could push Steven Carlson based off what they have in training camp. But you pretty much can expect, you know, those top three of Njoku, Austin Hooper, and Harrison Bryant to be there without a doubt. And then likely we might see a return of uh, Steven Carlson. Now, looking at the offensive line, and first, obviously, the biggest thing is you want to look at the offensive tackle position. That was the one area that we wanted to see an improvement in. And we definitely saw that with Jedrick Wills being drafted uh, last year, came in as a rookie and really showcased his ability to excel in pass blocking. And obviously, you know, pro football focus, you know, some people, they take it as light and day. This is the best way to grade someone. And some people say, well, you can't just always say pro pro football focus is the only way to look at a player's impact. Um, Just from watching tape of Jerjic Wills, there were some situations where you would want him to be a little bit better in terms of his run blocking, but that's something that he can always improve on. And again, he was, that was just his first season, but he at least showcased he has the ability to protect Baker, May- Baker Mayfield's blind side, you know, for the long haul. Then you look at Jack Conklin at right tackle. Again, someone that can maul uh, in terms of the run game, uh, a great tackle, especially on the right side of the football where you – predominantly is going to be the power run game towards the right side of the field. And the addition of Jack Conklin was also huge. One of the big free agent signings they did last offseason. Now, when you look behind them, now it's a little bit more of a question mark of who's going to be that basically that number six lineman. And looking at the depth chart, most likely it's going to be Chris Hubbard. Obviously, he's if he's still around, he is under contract after Andrew Barry restructured his deal last season in order to save the team some money. But now you have, you know, two bigger guys with Alex Taylor, who is an enormous man at 6'8", over 300 pounds. And you have Greg Sinat, another guy that they brought back this offseason who was signed by the Dallas Cowboys at some point last season. He's brought back. He's 6'6", over 300 pounds as well. So you have two behemoths of men um, at that tackle position. And it's really going to come down to Taylor and Sinat and who can really solidify themselves as this is going to be the sixth tackle coming off the board. I don't really see too many situations unless they just want to save cap space where they move on from Hubbard just because he offers so much versatility across the entire offensive line. I'd be stunned if they got rid of Hubbard at this point. Uh, He's just valuable. He played right guard, left tackle and right tackle last year. And he did all reasonably well, even guard. He was better at than he had been. Previously, uh, I, I, I never thought that would work. He wasn't 
good as a run blocker, but, you know, he did enough. Uh, so, you know, where he is in his recovery from the dislocated kneecap is obviously a big question, but the Browns may not be in a real big hurry for him to do anything anyway, because every day he's sort of out, they can get reps with Alex Taylor and Greg Sanat. And Greg Sanat in particular is interesting. Greg Sanat interests me because he was on the Browns last year as a practice squad signee. The Dallas Cowboys claimed him off the practice squad. He got a little bit of experience with the Cowboys. I think he played largely on special teams. And then he chose to come back to the Browns because he liked Bill Callahan that much. And, you know, it says to me that Bill Callahan is a, a big selling point for some of these guys, especially a developmental offensive lineman. That's, you know, it's smart for them. It's potentially help his future. And it's smart for the Browns to be able to obviously get this type of flair and potentially develop into something they want to hold on to Alex Taylor, you know, is a guy I liked at the senior bowl. He was still a basketball player. Look, transitioning into sort of becoming a football player. You sort of long, gangly guy, six uh, eight. He's enormous, enormous arms, like just length. Uh, and and he had a hard time uh, dealing with some of the physicality. But he always, he, but you know, most basketball converts are really adept to want to be pass protectors because it's just sort of natural to your movement in basketball and playing defense and stuff like that. You just basically slide and stay in front of the guy. You know, bas- with 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 football, there's a little more physicality there. But Taylor, in particular was a guy who really worked hard to, to, to run block. And I thought that was worthwhile. And then the Browns brought him in. I was pretty excited. He was very athletic and he, he, he gained like 10, 15 pounds and looked a lot better in a short amount of time. So I think the Browns are excited about what Alex Taylor can be. Uh, and I think they're excited about Alex Taylor. Now that's not Desmond Harrison to start at left tackle excited, uh, which was a really bad idea. Uh, but I think excited enough that they see where this kid has a potential future in the NFL and is somebody that's worth hanging on to and developing. Having said that, just by virtue of, you know, Chris Hubbard being there, you know, Greg Sinat and Alex Taylor are largely going to be competing for what I think is one roster spot between them. And I think the loser is ultimately going to get traded. Uh, The Browns have a lot of depth on the offensive line, and I think they may be able to trade one or two of these guys uh, to, to get something, whether it's a low, you know, low round draft pick or something uh, in a future year, because just there aren't enough guys in the NFL that are legitimate NFL tackles or, or offensive linemen in general. And the Browns have sort of an embarrassment of riches. Yeah. And that's definitely something that you want to take advantage of when you have excess of talent at a premium position in NFL, regardless if it's a starter or not, being able to have a surplus of guys that can that you can develop at that tackle position, it offers value to pretty much any NFL team because we've seen it pretty much every year where teams either trade or overpay for offensive tackles that aren't the top echelon of players, but there's just always a need to protect the quarterback. And as long as the Browns continue to have that issue of where they have too many players, it's always a benefit to have. So moving on into the interior, which is, in my opinion, the best part of this offensive line, uh, obviously you're going to have the return of Joe Batonio and Wyatt Teller at that uh, guard positions. And then it's kind of a 
mishmash of guys that you really don't know what you have yet. Uh, they re-signed Blake Hance, who came in and had a spot start. I believe it was um, either in the playoffs or at the end of the season. Uh, he was originally with the Jacksonville Jaguars. You have Kobe Gossett, who's arguably the biggest guard that they have on the roster at 6'5", 330. He's actually closer to size to uh, Joe Batonio compared to the rest of the guys. And you have Michael Dunn, who's on the roster last year. Uh, obviously, Drew Forbes is going to be a big player returning after opting out last season. And then they also added uh, Cordell Awagu, uh, who didn't really have any snaps last year. So my biggest thing when I look at this position, obviously you see the jump that Wyatt Teller had last year. So you expect him to step back into that right guard spot. But prior to the season starting, before obviously Forbes opted out, I had the full expectation that Forbes and Teller were pretty much going to compete during training camp for that uh, starting right guard spot. Now with Wyatt Teller pretty much, you know, blossoming under Bill Callahan, Joe Batonio obviously isn't going anywhere. What do you expect? from Drew Forbes basically in his second season? Uh, yeah, so Drew Forbes, uh, you know, when, when he was drafted, he looked like he could be a nice tackle, maybe a right tackle. And then the Browns made this transition to this the zone scheme and he becomes sort of the, he's the prototype zone guard, just massively strong and athletic. Uh, and, and, and opting out may have done the Browns a really strange favor for a couple of reasons. One, his contract bounces back a year and now he's two years behind Wyatt Teller as opposed to one, which could have theoretically been a big deal. But the fact that it goes from one year to two years is, is really important. Drew Forbes may well have won that job against Wyatt Teller. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, obviously Teller then went on to be basically an all pro. Uh, but now if Drew Forbes is still really good, with the two years he's sort of hanging on to now, he could theoretically be the long-term, you know, heir apparent to Joel Batonio at left guard. Uh, you know, he's incredibly talented. I, I, I think he's just going to get better and better and better. Uh, and, and and we'll see where he ends up. Uh, you know, I don't think Colby Gossett has very long for this team. I wouldn't buy green bananas if I was Colby Gossett. Uh, Michael Dunn, really impressive. You know, this is again the pandemic just being crazy that the Browns came out of this with more talent than less. That's not supposed to be how this works when you have guys opt out. They find Michael Dunn without Drew Forbes there. Uh, and Michael Dunn comes in and plays the game against the Steelers in the playoffs, and he's great until he he uh hurts his calf. Uh, and then Blake Hans has to come in uh and, and finish out that game. Uh, so now he's an interesting piece that's competing for a job. And then Blake Hans obviously is really a guard, but had to play tackle where he, you know, shut down uh, what a uh, Frank Clark from the chiefs who just couldn't get past him. Despite the fact he's basically playing guard at tackle, he'd go inside every time and try to like basically pivot out and uh, try to just run him around. He's got an interesting shot. So much like tackle, uh, they're not all going to make it. They don't have room for three guards in reserve. So I expect one of those guys is ultimately going to get traded. And then, you know, Cordell, Iwiagu, uh, you know, I love my West Af African prospects. Uh, I believe he's Nigerian. He is technically a guard. He does have experience at center. So that's a possibility for him. 
it, because there's, there's, you know, obviously the two main guys at center, but there are two guys that are sort of there that could theoretically make noise there, but yeah, it's, it's going to be tough. And I, and I, much in the way that I, I, Malcolm Pridgen was, uh, was released early. I, I expect the Browns are probably going to move on from somebody else uh, before camp starts, just to give them a fair shot to go somewhere else. Um, again, if, if you've got, you, you, you could have a whole lot of Joel Batonio veteran days to get guys more reps uh, to evaluate guys. But I, I think the Browns will probably do the, you know, the more, player friendly option and let one of these guys go earlier so they could catch on somewhere else uh, to, to get a job elsewhere. But it's another position where they could potentially swap somebody. Maybe it's for a player uh, that somebody else is going to get rid of that you want to take a look at. Uh, but they, they just have more supply than, than they can hold. And, and it's, it's, again, it's a great place to be, but they can't keep, you know, 11 or 12 linemen on the regular season roster. Yeah. And I'm a big proponent for seeing what you have in Drew Forbes. And like you said, being able to have that essentially an extra year on the contract. Um, you know, obviously he was still with the team in some sorts last year, but opting out, he obviously didn't play any snaps. And based off of how the NFL set up the guidelines, players that, you know, opted out didn't accrue a season, uh, basically, for their contracts, which again helps out the Browns in the long term. And I would love to see because obviously at some point you're gonna to have to move on from Joe Batonio. You don't want it to be a situation of there's a, a steep decline in his play. Obviously, you, you want him to continue to perform at that Pro Bowl level as long as possible. But at some point, rather it be the money, you have to make some sacrifices here or there. Drew Forbes definitely seems like the type of player you will want in that situation of stepping in at left guard and already having an answer versus having to take continuous numerous swings at the position uh, via the draft because you're not really going to find too many options in free agency and if you do it's going to cost you a lot of money so you know if they can get something out of Forbes uh, when he was drafted I did watch a significant amount of tape on him his ability as a run blocker is great. Uh, he's very physical, has that mauler mentality, and he did play against smaller competition. But I think having that rookie season where he sat out most of the time and then, you know, opting out last year, it gave him more time, you know, watch film and just have a general idea of how we can get better. And I'm sure there's been some sort of communication with Bill Callahan, and he'll really be the true evaluator of what they have in Forbes. And again, like you said, it gives them that insurance of, replacing Batonio if he shows that he has the talent and that kind of transitions into the next part uh the final part of the offensive line which is center so of course you have JC Trader who's going to return as the starter then you have Nick Harris uh, Anthony Fabiano and then Javon Patterson a person they just added um Nick Harris being drafted last year in the fifth round that was the type of draft pick that I believe they brought in in order to eventually replace JC Treader. So my question to you is, uh, when does Nick Harris replace Treader at center in 2022 or 2023? Um, my, if I'm, if I'm betting, I'd be betting on it being 2022. Um, I think the Treader has really one more year here short of like, um, short of a situation where he were to restructure significantly. Um, I think his money will ultimately go to Wyatt Teller. Uh, that's, you know, I think that's how they're going to sort of balance that out. 
Uh, J.C. Treader has been great. I think he should have made the Pro Bowl last year. This is not a criticism of him. It's just sort of the way, you know, business will go, uh, that they can't keep everybody and they're sort of going to move on. And I don't know how long Treader really wants to play. I know he signed a three-year deal. Um, I'm not sure if, if there was sort of like, you know, an understanding with that. Uh, but I mean, look, if, if you, if Nick Harris doesn't develop the way you think he will, then you've still got Treader there. But I think two years, he's 20, he came into the league at 21. Um, I think, I think uh, he will be, he just needs to get stronger more than anything. He's really light on his feet, which is good. Uh, but I think in two years, uh, or two more, you know, 18 months, two more off seasons. I think he will be okay. Um, and I don't think Treader is going to be a guy who's sort of like angry at this notion either. I think he understands what sort of the writing is on the wall in that regard. Um, but so if I'm betting, I bet on 2022, uh, I think this will be his last season and, and, you know, it went fast, but uh, you know, that will be five years. He's been with the Browns. Yeah. So in a situation, obviously, you always want to bring in as much talent as possible in terms of having someone to develop. Do you see the Browns going in and drafting an offensive lineman at some point in this draft or potentially even dra- drafting someone, you know, maybe a third or fourth round pick? Not unless there's somebody that they're going, wow, this kid is good and I can't believe he's here. Uh, it just they just don't have anywhere to put them. Um, and it's not, you know, for the, for all the best reasons. I mean, this is a year it, it, again, this is not supposed to happen. You're not supposed to be 11 and 12 guys deep on the offensive line. So, you know, it's the one position where I haven't really even thought about it for the Browns. It's not to say there aren't prospects. There's a, you know, a Nigerian kid from Buffalo. I really liked It's intriguing from a physical tool standpoint uh, that, that, you know, I, I think could be an interesting developmental prospect, but they just, don't have any place to put them. And, and, you know, unless they, they, and and they have, I, you know, along with that, they have the young element there. They have youth. Uh, Alex Taylor is only going to be a second year. Uh, Greg Sanat is older. He's going to be like 27, but like Michael Dunn has barely been in the league. Uh, Forbes is still quite young. Nick Harris is again, he's only gonna be 22 this year. So it's not as if they're like hurting for an infusion of young talent. They've got that. So, uh, it would be stunning to me they, if they if there's an offensive lineman, you know, uh, next to the Browns pick, uh, I have to think they think the absolute world of that prospect. Yeah. And like you said, that's that's a good problem to have when you have that infusion of, of young talent, you know, in the in the reins, basically, to, re, to replace anyone. Obviously, you do have some aging veterans in Joe Batonio and J.C. Treader. Um, I agree in terms of them moving on from Treader sooner rather than later. And then Joe Batonio is kind of that situation of as long as you can perform, you know, obviously he's going to stay here. He's going to retire at Cleveland Brown unless there's a situation where he just wants, you know, more money. And I really don't see that from Batonio. Uh, I mean, he's been around for a significant amount of time, even with Joe Thomas. So uh, that's, that's obviously a great problem to have. Overall, the offense... I don't really see too many uh, changes happening with this team. There may be some trades at some point, maybe during training camp, where they bring in a different player or they're starting to realize that there's um, really a lot of duplication in terms of what skill sets and value certain players um, may provide for this team. Uh, the receiver room 
definitely in the draft is is going to change at some point. Uh, obviously, I don't know who or when exactly, but no one does. But at some point, you know, there's going to be some type of change in this receiver room, and I don't expect it to basically enter the season with the same, I would say, top six and or seven um, going into training camp as what you have on the roster right now. Uh, so definitely adding speed, um, finding a running back, uh, rather it be because, you know, they're not going to give Nick Chubb a contract extension and really just taking advantage of what you already have on the offense and spending a lot of that capital on defense, something that we'll talk about in the next episode. Yeah, the Browns are, you know, they, they took care of business offensively for the most part last year. So, I mean, it's not like it's a huge surprise. They, they you know, they they have retained every meaningful player from last year, even the one I didn't want. Uh, and then they have a potential to maybe add a, a guy if they find the value there, they want a speed receiver, whatever. But, you know, they, they set it up so they could basically say they were the offense for 2022 is done. And that's, I mean, that's a perfect way to have it. So uh, right before we head out, um, your give me your number one offensive player that you will want the Browns to draft. Oh, um, I'd probably say. No, you have a lot. Yeah, I'd probably say Rashad Bateman. Um, I've loved this kid uh, since he, since last year. Um, he, first and foremost, PJ Fleck is a hundred percent a salesman and like understand that going in, but they do recruit really good kids. And I think Rashad Bateman is probably somebody who will be somebody that's more popular when he gets talking to teams. Uh, so there's just so much like him. I like his size. He's got speed. Um, I, I, I think he, he's especially his junior tape, uh, their quarterback play was so much better uh, that you really got to, he just showcased his ability uh, he's a massive individual with tremendous athleticism and skill. Um, if, 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 you know, if the Browns want to grab him at 26, I'd be absolutely thrilled. And we can't beat that. There you go. Pete Smith, Rashad Bateman, maybe coming to Cleveland at 26. If the Browns decide to go BPA in the draft. So again, we want to thank you guys so much for checking out the second episode of the Browns digest podcast. Remember you can always find the podcast on your favorite audio streaming platforms, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Also, you can listen to it directly on the Sports Illustrated Browns Digest website at www.si.com slash NFL slash Browns. Make sure you guys give us a follow on Twitter as well. Uh, again, we will see you guys next week. And thank you so much. See you.